Welcome to Embedded Edge with Knitting, a podcast that brings to life the stories behind today's embedded systems, technologies, and products. It's the show where you'll hear from both engineers and executives on some of the most topical news and most pressing challenges in the world of embedded system design. Here's your host, Editor-in-Chief of Embedded.com, Nitin Dahad. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Embedded Edge with Nitin. In this episode, we discuss next-generation GPUs, the democratization of quantum computing, and secure, scalable IoT for smart buildings. You'll hear from Imagination Technologies, Cambridge Quantum, Shawcore, and Cascoda. In the first clip, Imagination Technologies provides details of a brand new GPU, the first to address level four in the ray tracing level system, which the company says brings desktop quality visuals to mobile and embedded applications. There's quite a lot of excitement about what it means for mobile gaming, as you'll hear in the interview. Then we take a bit of a focus on quantum computing. We first get a very enlightening chat with the chief scientist at Cambridge Quantum, who tells us what's wrong with the current approach to deploying quantum computing for AI, and how the company's new open sourced software toolkit converts natural language into quantum circuits. Then we talk to Shawcore, who will tell us about a new 6.5 million pound UK government funded project that the company is leading to jointly develop advanced cryogenic semiconductor IP that it says will dramatically accelerate the growth of the quantum computing industry. Working with a consortium that includes Synopsys and the University of Glasgow, it says it will be looking at reducing the constraints associated with interconnects, thus enabling efficient qubit system scaling. Finally, I'll talk to Cascoda about OCF, that's Open Connectivity Foundation, and Thread, and how OCF over Thread addresses interoperability and security challenges in smart building IoT. Cascoda helped develop the spec, and now the company also has the first certified OCF over Thread module for secure IP-based mesh networks. Let's first turn to the launch of the brand new next-generation GPU from Imagination Technologies which the company says is the most advanced ray tracing GPU with an architecture that makes it the first to address level four of the ray tracing level system. So I'm here with Andrew Girdler, a product manager for GPUs at Imagination Technologies. Andrew, hello. Hello. So uh, you've got a brand new GPU uh, designed to blow the socks off mobile gaming. Tell me more about it, please. Yes, so this is our new uh, CXT GPU, so a, a brand new IP that will be integrated into phones and, and tablet devices, you know, into the future. Um, it basically, yeah, adds ray tracing capability to our GPU. So basically something that's previously been reserved for high-end desktop gaming experiences. Now, basically with a, a new architecture we call the Photon architecture, um, it's the most advanced ray tracing architecture out there today. Uh, basically giving you the ability to you know, enable these kind of advanced ray trace gaming effects, even in a, a low power budget in a, in a mobile phone device. So um, yeah, we're basically able to get you know, some really nice you know, shadows, reflections, these kind of things you want in your game that to look really great. And we're able to get those in a mobile phone power budget with ray tracing, which is uh, really exciting and really the, the first time that someone's going to be enabling 
this uh, level of solution in this space. Before we get into that architecture, so I think you, you said it gives you native 1080p between 30 and frame, 60 frames per second in a mobile power, power budget. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So that's been a real key target for us, you know, basically making sure that, you know, obviously there's people talking now about bringing ray tracing down from the desktop space into uh, into mobile solutions. Um, but there's obviously if, if you don't do that in a in an inter, in a smart way, you could end up with, you know, only being able to enable maybe some some very limited effects with that ray tracing. And um, we want to make sure you can enable lots of really advanced, really great effects. Um, and have you know really good performance. So yeah, our target with our content, with our launch demo for the CXT, that actually runs on the core at 1080p native without upscaling uh, at 30 to 60 frames per second. So uh, you know a really nice, uh, good amount of performance. One of the sort of um, achievements you've done here is it's it's providing um, that level four ray tracing. Just give us some context and perspective. So what's the level four and and where what else is on the market right now? Yeah, so today there's there's currently a mix of, of what we call level two or level three solutions. You know, you can basically the the level system is kind of a bit of a roadmap in terms of how advanced is your ray tracing architecture. Um, and, and most solutions today, as we say, level two, uh, you know, those are the kind of things you might find in current games consoles. You know, and what that really means is we're brute forcing a lot of the ray tracing just because we've not got that much dedicated ray tracing hardware. We've only got a small amount in level two. Level three takes it up a little notch. So you've basically got a little bit more dedicated hardware, a slight increase in efficiency. But then what we're introducing is a level four, and that gives you a, an entire bigger step uh, in terms of efficiency for the ray tracing. What that really means is now you can enable all those advanced effects, but without you know burning lots and lots of power to do it. So it allows you to bring ray tracing down, You know, whereas previously it's been reserved for these high-end desktop GPUs because we're doing so much brute forcing, now we can start to bring it down to you know this sort of more embedded space, you know, your your phones, your tablets, your know, entry devices and things like that. Now tell us a little bit about the architecture that's enabling this then. So the architecture is called it's called Photon and it's all to do with obviously rays and, and light bouncing around a scene. We have a new block that's introduced in the GPU called the ray acceleration cluster, the rack. Um, and that's a tightly integrated block that adds the ray tracing capability into our existing GPU designs. And so the rack has lots of different units within it. It's got some some quite interesting, you know, box testing capability where we're going around and trying to find which rays hit which objects. We've got some really nice nice blocks called things like the ray store where we're storing all of these rays that are interacting throughout the scene. And we've got our unique level four block, the coherency gathering hardware as well. And that's that thing that just takes this ray tracing unit to a whole nother level. So um, yeah, it's, it's a really advanced architecture. It's It's been, you know, many years in the making. But um, but it's it's in there. It's running content, and it's uh, it's looking very very exciting. And how does this get programmed? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so we're actually uh, using Vulkan uh, ray tracing uh, as the as the programming model for this. So obviously Vulkan's great because it's available across you know embedded devices and into the desktop space as well. So it opens up you know a whole world of content. Um, and we're actually supporting the full range of Vulkan ray tracing as well. So ray query and ray pipeline as well. So there's two different sort of approaches to programming the GPU. With the ray query, it's a slightly simplified way, easier for developers just to add those effects on top of their existing games. Ray pipeline is a more sort of advanced uh, model where you, you see that a bit more maybe in the desktop space today. We're going to be supporting both. So in terms of game compatibility going forward, you know, you'll be able to run you know, the widest range of content on our ray tracing hardware. Tell us about the possibilities. You know, you've got you know, single core, obviously good for the mobile, but also the uh, the multi-core scalability as well. 
yeah, so there's there's a lot of excitement in the industry at the moment around taking you know these these small low power embedded designs and scaling them up into you know maybe the PC or laptop space. You know, there's a lot a lot of buzz around that, and and obviously we're seeing that with our customers as well. So with our multi core, which we introduced in in B series, you can take you know, this architecture with the with fo the photon architecture with ray tracing, and you can scale that up to you know multiple teraflops. And you know with CXT, we can take that up to nine teraflops 7.8 giga rays per second in a, in a desktop kind of environment or laptop environment you know, huge numbers you know but they, it basically just means you're talking about you know very high performance but obviously that that same high efficiency that you see with that's what our you know our gpus are all about so um it just means that yeah you can now take a big step in terms of improving the power efficiency of these devices you know you can have you know, battery life that just lasts significantly longer and a better gaming experience as well with the launch, I think you've already uh, talk, you've talked about um, all the game developers being excited about it. Can you just highlight a, a little bit of that excitement? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we've got, you know, great supporting quotes from uh, uh, from various, you know, game studios, Tencent, NetEase and, and, and more. Um, in a, and, and we're really, you know, we're seeing great engagement because obviously ray tracing is a very exciting technology. You know, bringing those, you know, those game uh, developers, you know, in with us and working on, you know, what are the next generation devices, you know, going to have in them in terms of capabilities, um, you know, what sort of what sort of effects they're going to be able to enable. You know, they're very excited already to be to be looking at that and th thinking about what do they plan for the future. So our ecosystem team has been doing some great work, reaching out and working with those partners to help give them a bit of a, a view into the future of, you know, what sort of hardware is going to be out there. Um, and everyone's just, you know, really excited to start to enable these effects, you know, in in a in such a you know small low power device. And we could expect those in, in in as little as eighteen months, I guess. I think that's that's the typical region. Yeah, I mean, so obviously we provide the the, the IP design for the GPU, um, and then we work with a silicon partner to put that into production. So uh, yeah, we typically expect a little a little delay, you know, between now and when you know maybe say our partners will announce their products. Obviously, we can't announce them for them. You know, what what sort of products they're going to build. That's obviously a very confidential roadmap. But, um, but, you know, so, yeah, over time, they'll announce, obviously, their chips, their products, and then those chips ultimately end up in the sort of the consumer devices that people can uh, can pick up. So as soon as we've, we're, you know, as soon as we're you know free to start, you know, telling everyone about the, the devices we're going to be in, of course, we'll be, uh, I'm sure, making a lot of noise to let everyone know about some of the, the uh, you know, exciting new ray tracing capable uh, low power devices. Andrew, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now we talk to Bob Cooker, Chief Scientist with Cambridge Quantum, who takes us into the background to his company's launch of what it says is the world's first toolkit and library for quantum natural language processing, or better known as QNLP, which allows sentences to be converted into a quantum circuit. Hello, Bob. Hello. You've um, launched uh, a um, Lambic, which is a new natural language language processing toolkit and library. Could you just tell us um, uh, some background why you think there's a need for this? So, so the broader context of what we are doing is AI. Uh, and the way AI is going now, historically, AI was very much like a structure driven. But recently, due to the enormous computational power which we have available, it has been become very much data driven. Now, a con consequence of that is that it's not very transparent. Whatever's going on now is not very transparent. It's very hard to see why something happens. Why is GPT-3 doing what it is doing? Mainly people know this by uh, experimental testing, by empirical testing, 
but not by really understanding what's going on. And one, one, one great example of that is the Microsoft chatbot, which in a, a few hours became a complete fascist. This is not what Microsoft wanted, and, but they also had no clue of what was going on. Mm. And, but the major problem is that the old mathematics of AI, the sort of structural mathematics people were using, the logic doesn't fit with the current data-driven approaches. So what is, needing, what is needed is really a completely new kind of mathematics that is able to combine data-driven methods with reasoning methods. I think the re we have this at hand, and the reason we have this at hand is that over the past almost 20 years, I developed a new formalism for quantum mechanics. And as it turns out, the way uh, words combine with meanings actually perfectly matches the way uh, systems compose in quantum mechanics. So you can actually use the quantum mechanical formalism in print. I mean, that's what people are doing. People are using vector spaces now for meaning, but the, the typical quantum mechanical formalism is also not very transparent. It's very much like statistical theory. So we've got this new formalism for quantum mechanics, which is much more structure driven. It's actually pictorial, diagrammatic. And uh, it, it basically draws from category theory. Typically, people who know the word category theory would run away because they think it's the most complicated area of mathematics. But as it turns out, if you go abstract enough, it actually becomes like a purely pictorial diagrammatic language. And some project, some side project we have going on now is basically to teach these things to high schoolers and make them solve like cutting edge quantum computing questions. So this is a project which is currently on, going on in collaboration with IBM. Uh, and I've got a new book forthcoming for, for children, teaching high-level quantum mechanics. So, okay, now, so, so natural language matches exactly this language. And the product we just launched, Lombeck, is the first implementation of that idea to implement natural language using quantum mechanical logical structure. New quantum mechanical logical structure, not old quantum mechanical, not old AI, the new stuff which you find in my book, Picturing Quantum Processes with uh, Alex Kissinger. And the same, the same formalism, for example, is now also driving things like compiler optimization for quantum computers. Like the, if you want to implement something efficient on a quantum computer, people are now exactly using the same language as we use in Lombic to, to, to basically process natural language. So, so Lombic is a starting point. Uh, it, it, it will evolve and we're hoping to grow an ecosystem. Uh, the, the subject of NLP is so widely used that by spreading Lombic, we hope to get like the right questions from people or the right, the, the right requests on how we should further evolve this completely new approach to AI. So, so yes, that's why we're trying to sort of give it to everybody, like Merck, people, for example, at Merck are very interested, and there's many other companies who have been shown great interest in this product. We are good people, you know, open, open source is a good thing. With our operating system, uh, well, I mean, Ticket is much more than an operating system. It's a lot, it's compiled, it's an operating system. It's basically a quantum software developed, and we did the same thing. We just open sourced it. So I think it's the way to go. And, and so with Lambeck going open source, um, what do you hope uh, it will uh, do for people who are developing 
neural networks, AI systems? I mean, will it, do you need to change their mindset to be able to sort of develop okay. in a different way? One, of, one thing I should have said earlier, we did with it, is we basically implemented NLP on quantum computers, on the existing small quantum I mean, they're not small, actually, but they're noisy. They're quite noisy at the moment. But we've implemented NLP on it. We've done like standard NLP tasks, which you wouldn't expect to be possible on a, on a quantum computer at the moment, given how noisy and all they are. And, and I mean, it, our results are, are were totally okay. Like we, we used reasonably reasonable sized data sets, a couple of hundred words. We're now going into the thousands with what's ongoing. And, and do standard NLP tasks like uh, classification and, and things like that. And the way we see NLP evolve is from sentence-based to text-based. So the using this compos- new mathematics, this compositional mathematics, we got a new formalism, which understands the meaning of text, which makes you, we, we gives the capability to, to add more understanding to meanings of entire text. And again, a cool thing about the text is that um, you can really think of this text as an evolving quantum process. Like the, the number one use case at the moment of quantum computing, chemistry and materials, like a substance which, which in nature is quantum mechanical. And this goes back to Feynman in the 80s saying, if you want to simulate a quantum mechanical thing, you better put it on a quantum mechanical machine. Okay. Because, uh, because otherwise it comes at an exponential cost. And that the exponential cost is connected to how systems compose. And the, the same is true for language because of this, 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 what I said, this matching formalism. So this text really wants to live on a quantum computer. Suppose you got an entire detective novel. And at the end, you want to know who killed Bob or something like that. Yeah. Then, then making that text evolve on a quantum computer and then asking this question gives you like an incredible speed up. I mean, trying to do the same thing on a classic computer is, would be completely impossible, entirely okay. impossible, because of the nature of stuff composes. So this, this is the few, This is how we see AI evolve to actually understanding stuff like entire text by giving the right structure. So at the moment, when we, when we implement things on a quantum computer, the way you enter data in the form of a quantum circuit actually completely matches the, the nature of how text can be given structure like a quantum circuit, like a circuit. So it's a perfect match, it's a perfect match. So we got here something which is quantum native. I'm gonna repeat the word, quantum native. I'm gonna repeat the word, quantum native, but which is not quantum substance. And that's one thing we're trying to push very hard to with Lambic, like things which actually want to, which which are like quantum mechanics, which have the structure of quantum mechanics, or composed like quantum mechanics, but which are not quantum substance. That's a completely new thing. That's an entirely new thing. And we find we find it beyond language. We find it in other sort of cognitive processes and things like that. I mean, my personal belief is that most things in the world are rather composed on quantum mechanics than what people have been doing for the previous 2,500 years since the, since the ancient Greeks. I believe that. Uh, it's, it's, I think it has to do with Western obsession with reductionism, like the atomists and all. Everything has to sort. So now, but if you and I are talking, you can't describe our conversation by just describing you and by describing me. It's the conversation is a new thing which 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 enters the pictures because we are actually talking to each other. Right.
Okay. So a lot of things are like that. A lot of things are like that. Most things in the world are like that. Only dead things are not like that. Okay. So pretty much science was about the dead. Well, Bob, uh, it's been very useful. We, uh, I think uh, we've got the picture and I think we can go into a much more philosophical discussion. But Bob, thank you very much. Thank you. Continuing the topic of quantum computing, I caught up with Paul Wells, CEO of Shawcore, on a new project that his company is leading to develop cryogenic CMOS IP with a view to accelerating quantum computing scalability. Hello, Paul. Hi, Nitin. How's things? Very good. So um, tell me a little bit about uh, Shawcore and what you're doing in quantum, because uh, I've known you for doing sort of low power memory uh, IP. Uh, what's the connection uh, with quantum computing? I know you've done some uh, cryo CMOS IP. Yeah, well, we um, we got introduced to a, uh, a UK cryogenic company called Universal Quantum. They approached us to develop some SRAM for them. And essentially off the, off the back of that, uh, we realized that we had the skill base to be able to design low-power memory for cryogenic applications, particularly suited to quantum computing. The big challenge with scaling quantum computers is that currently the control electronics resides outside the cryostat. And what people want to do is they want to miniaturize the control electronics and put that into the cryostat to avoid having tons of cabling coming out of the very cold cryostat environment. So what we did was we actually led a consortium of seven companies uh, via an Innovate UK government grant to, to fund us to develop cryogenic IP. Now, this consortium is an incredibly impressive list of companies, including University of Glasgow, Semiwise, Seek, as well as Universal Quantum, plus Oxford Instruments and, uh, and Synopsys as well. So all of those companies really allow us the capability to be able to model transistor behavior at very low, low temperatures. And then for us to take those models and be able to design low power IP, which will be able to be used inside the cryostat with the qubits. So you're leading this project. Uh, that's right, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, we are. We are the project leaders. It's a three year project and we're going to be developing cryogenic IP for two process technologies uh, to help both Universal Quantum and CQC. So, uh, yes, it's a, it's a very exciting development for us. And, of course, the main thrust really is if, if you look at the way the fabulous industry has caused in a massive explosion in digital uh, digitalization of, uh, of the economy from phones, phones, laptops, wireless earbuds, et cetera, et cetera, then it's really being bringing the power of the fabulous model to the cryogenic space because currently very big companies like Google um, and IBM kind of tend to dominate this space. Okay, so what do you see as the outcome in three years? What's, what's the potential uh, that you know, the, the industry can sort of latch onto here? The potential will be that Shawcore will be providing a range of cryogenic IP, which will mean that for quantum compute companies, they'll be able to very easily design cryogenic control ICs without the additional cost of making their own silicon cold measurements. And they will be able to effectively get cryogenic ASICs designed in the same way as you'd get any other ASIC design. What's the first step? What's the first thing you're going to have to do to deliver? Um, the project? 
Well, the first thing really is we're going to start making measurements at very cold temperatures on, on real silicon. Mm-hmm. Our, our colleagues at Synopsys and Semiwise are going to build that into the transistor models to understand how the behavior of the transistors changes, which we, we know it does change quite significantly, particularly down at 4 Kelvin and below. Once we have those new transistor models, we will then ascertain and do some a study to determine how much that's going to affect the underlying architecture of our power saving memories. And based on that, we will then, if necessary, adjust the architecture to in order to deliver these low power memories and other low power IP as well. Oh, that sounds fascinating. Paul, thank you very much. Thank you, Nitin. Finally, we turn to Bruno Johnson, CEO of Cascoda. Bruno, You have a big announcement, a new solution for secure IoT devices in smart buildings and infrastructure. Tell us more about that. Yes, that's correct. So um, we've recently certified our uh, Chile 2 module with what we call uh, OCF running over the uh, thread uh, network uh, protocol. So what we have is for the first time, we think, a uh, true uh, internet protocol-based connectivity solution that is uh, extremely low power, and by that I mean capable of running from a battery, um, that provides internet protocol connectivity right down to the end node. Uh, and uh, with the Open Connectivity Foundation, secure PKI X509 grade security for end-to-end encryption. And for the first time, we believe, uh, this allows, let's say, banking-grade uh, security for IoT devices. Currently, what, what do we have on the market? You know, that, that's not really common, is it, on IoT devices? Um, no, I, I believe there are devices that are capable of, of achieving this with Wi-Fi. Um, but uh, the point is that uh, Wi-Fi is, is relatively heavyweight, so it's um, you know consumes uh, an order of magnitude more power than the low-power thread-based products that we have. And Thread has a great advantage in that it it seamlessly uh, has a scalable mesh network that's self-managing. So you can really build this out throughout a space such as a building or a city and continue adding and adapting without any management overhead. And tell us about the sort of bigger picture implications, because obviously uh, the, you've got the, the Biden executive, uh, President Biden executive order uh, for you know, security in you know, buildings and infrastructure. How does that filter down? Yeah, it's very interesting. So the Biden executive order, which was announced in May uh, of this year, um, really uh, brought in a a, a sea change in the attitude towards security uh, for all federal agencies in the United States. So that means uh, any installation that goes into any federal building, even down to a school, really has to consider this. So uh, really, there are many provisions in it. um, But the implications are that um, security has become key to absolutely every element of an IoT product. So it's not just the device, uh, it's not just the software on the device or the transports that it uses, but also the processes around uh, the provisioning of the device uh, and also providing the software bill of materials uh, for that device and having seamless over-the-air upgrade capability, which we have. 
and and this is what using um, OCF and thread actually enables you to do, uh, which is difficult otherwise. Yes, exactly. Um, so using proprietary protocols, you know, non-internet protocol-based protocols makes this a lot more difficult. The methods that have been uh, well known and well established and uh, well understood by uh, IT professionals are exactly the same as what we use. So, you know, this is really a trusted, safe way of connecting devices to the internet. Okay, coming down to the specific product, um, you, you said it's it's very small, very low power. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's a postage stamp type module with a built-in antenna. It has a full ARM uh, M23 trust zone based uh, implementation implementation. Um, so that really provides the root of trust. So we have manufacturer certificates within that, um, and then. Uh, we've enabled all the uh, security-based features uh, of TrustZone. And of course, because we use Thread and um, uh, OCF, this has the established DTLS methods for securely uh, connecting that device to the internet. So um, the wonderful thing about these two protocols is that there's so much common between them. They both use CoAP and they both use DTLS with the very well understood uh, accepted methods for providing secure communications. Got it. And this is available now. And how do how, this is targeting the system integrators and people in building building infrastructure and management, I guess. Yes, that's right. So anyone building, uh, uh, providing a technology to the uh, built environment, whether that's smart city or smart buildings, um, can come to us. What we have is an, uh, effectively an end-to-end -end platform that they can easily start to uh, build their application around. So they can develop their own uh, building management system and the associated services that could come on top of that. And the wonderful thing about our technology is that it's seamlessly extendable. So if they could start off with lighting infrastructure, they could perhaps start to uh, add other uh, functionality or services on, on, on top of that, perhaps um, monitoring air quality, uh, mo monitoring how people or assets move around the space. So, yeah. Well, Bruno, uh, thank you very much. Uh, good luck with that. Thank you, Nitin. Thanks very much for your time. So that brings us to the end of this episode. That was Embedded Edge with Nitin, and I'm Nitin Dahad. Thanks for listening and see you next time.